When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, here we go, it's the Copyright Podcast. What is happening everyone, welcome back to the Copyright Podcast, it is Mick once again. Yeah, it's getting closer to the season, we're going to have another little chat and yeah, I'm not joined by Christian today, I'm joined by someone better, someone funnier, someone handsomer. Uh, it's Jamie, It's, it's he's finally making his debut, a, a longer, longer way to debut. Um, over in sunny, sunny Boston, is it sunny? I don't know, but yeah, Jamie, how are you doing, lad? Man, Mick, it's unreal to uh, be on the Car Pie podcast, so happy to be here, and uh, yeah, I'm super excited to talk about Liverpool transfers this upcoming season, and it's just a, a pleasure and a privilege to be here, so I'm incredibly excited. It's It's sunny today in Boston, there's an expression about the weather in New England where it goes, if you don't like the weather in New England, wait 15 minutes, and during the 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 summer, autumn, and spring months, that's definitely kind of true. You can have really yeah. nice sunshine, and then 10 minutes later, there's a thunderstorm, <laughs> and it's pouring rain. You never know. Same same as Liverpool, then. You, don't, you, you basically don't know what you're going to get at any moment. It's sometimes raining, next minute, thunderstorms, and you're like, fuck's sake. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, how is it? I know you do, like, I know we, we you came over for the for a game last, last season. We had a little catch-up, a few pints and stuff, and you were telling me about, like, your coaching and stuff. How yeah. How is that going? Yeah, no, it's a, it's great. I'm a teacher at a local uh, elementary school for English language learners, so kids who are new to the country and learning English in their curriculum, as well as learning all of the other academic content like math, science, social studies. Um, and I coach the team that uh, is at the school where I work. And um, we had an unbelievable season uh, in the spring. We won every game except one. Um, it was a hard-fought game in the rain that we lost two to one. But um, we're getting back into things over the summer where we have a summer camp for for all of the players and students. And so I'm going to get to see them again. So it, it, it'll be boss. It's so much fun to coach grassroots football. And I love it. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I thought about getting into that, but some of my mates do it and it's a lot of work, but then I suppose if you've got the passion and you've got like, I suppose, I suppose most kids have got the knowledge, like, especially growing up in Liverpool, everyone wants to be, everyone wants to play for Liverpool. So, you know, you know how the game works and stuff, but I suppose going into that extra level to coaching, I think you've got to have a certain level of patience and uh, dedication and stuff to, to do that. So, so fair play to you for, for doing it. But yeah, like you said, the results you've been getting there sounds pretty, pretty amazing. So fair play. Um. Yeah, but let's let's get stuck into. I mean, actually, I nearly I nearly forgot the kickoff. I nearly forgot then. Um. So what we used to do on the show is used to have like a kickoff question, and I just thought while the season's not on, um. I mean, I'm sure we'll maybe carry on when the season is happening, but I just thought we'd go back to having like a little kickoff question. So I put a put a little um tweet up yesterday, just asking people what they thought we should talk about. Just just a quick one, not not too long. 
Uh, and I got a few serious questions, but then there was just one that caught my eye, and I just thought that's that's too good not to talk about for the first couple of minutes of the show. And it is from Jimmy Sodens on Twitter. Um, so Jimmy asks us, Jamie, if you had to throw a fruit at Gary Neville, what fruit would it be? I mean, I'll, 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 I mean, we could do for twenty minutes on this. I reckon. Yeah, I mean, it, you can go with. Are you looking to inflict pain on Gary Neville? That's yes. one substrate of fruit that you could go for. Are you looking for a more comedic effect? That's one substrate of, of fruit that you could go for. There's so many ways to take this just because Gary Neville's got one of those faces and voices where it's just like, ah, oh, I'd do anything to get you to shut up. <laughs> um I've gone for a little bit of uh, a technicality fruit, but it's because I'd like to think I have a little bit of goodness and remorse in my heart. I wouldn't actually want to hurt Gary Neville, you know, Um, but it would be funny to see him take a nice, you know, shot in the face with something that might explode a little bit, get over his nice suit or attire, whatever he's wearing on, on Sky Sports, ruin his outfit for the day. So with the technicality on the fruit, I'm going to go for a tomato because I believe tomatoes are technically in the fruit family. And I'm just thinking if you've got like an old, not like rotting, but like a soggy tomato, <laughs> he just lapped it right at his face. Oh, he got yeah. an explosion everywhere. It wouldn't hurt him too much, but it ruined his day and it'd be hilarious. So I'm going with a nice soggy wet tomato. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I've gone for maximum pain. I mean, I've, I wrote down straight away. I was like, right. If I'm in close proximity, I'm going for a watermelon. <laughs> right over the head, head bang. And I was just thinking, if he's like, if it's like a distance type thing where, I don't know, he's got his suit on, like you said, and he's got, he's maybe 10, 15 yards away. I think like a nice, a nice solid apple. Yeah. But that would, I suppose that, that could, I mean, it might fix his nose for him. Yeah. That might be that might be a good thing, but I just feel like you can, re- especially when you throw an apple, you can really get some venom in that. Yeah. I think that's the same as a tomato. You can get like a bit. You can get a proper, yeah, yeah. A proper baseball pitch right, right yeah. out of his face. And then, then you might as well go for you know a bag of oranges or a bag of <laughs> apples. You know, is it long distance? Is this a David and Goliath scenario, or we just got to start chucking them or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, let us let us know because I'm sure everyone's got an opinion on this. So yeah, let's I'll I'll tweet it later and see what what responses we get because that'll be funny. Uh, but yeah, let's get stuck into the Reds then because it is preseason does start today. I mean, not not many players are uh, back in, but there was a nice little video this morning of Klopp coming back in. He got asked how he is, and he gave the camera a little kiss, and he said he's had an amazing summer. Um, yeah, and there's the players that are going to be back today. So we've got Adrian Bichetic, Fabinho. Joe Gomez, Joel Matip, Darwin Nunes, Nat Phillips, and Thiago. Uh, yeah, Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott will be back later, along with all most of the other lads, I imagine. Obviously, Elliott and Jones are still in the England under twenty one squad. I think the finals today, so that'll be interesting to see how yeah. um, to see how they got get on in that. But I mentioned there uh, Bichetich, and I just wanted to get your opinion on him, Jamie, because um, he was he was a revelation last year and it was partly because Liverpool were very very poor and he was he at least had some energy and some commitment to putting some tackles in 
Uh, and it's just a shame that he got injured just before Liverpool became a bit more of a, a functional side and were actually showing some quality. How much are you looking forward to seeing him coming back and actually going into a Liverpool team that have got energy and, and can win games of football and he can be he can add to what is already there rather than being, I suppose, the only person who's trying to put in a tackle like he was when he was playing for us last season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always important to have respectful expectations for young players because if you go on and say, you know, he's he's boss, he's ready to come in the first team, he's ready to do a job for us, but then without the context of talking about a 19, 20-year-old kid coming into the number six center defensive midfield position, one of the most difficult positions in world football to play, you want to make sure that you don't go over the top so that his confidence and his ability and progression is still consistent as a player. But he's won my respect completely just by the way that he holds himself accountable. When you're looking around in the team, when we're going through, you know, the spurt of games really between that October till the end of March, Liverpool was was very, very average in a lot of aspects. And, you know, we talk about discipline and expectation related to desire, fight and hunger to be in games. And that was lacking a lot. And I am ready to give my spiel on this later about why I think that's the case. But he came in and he played with dignity and he gave himself uh, uh a support to boost on in his Liverpool career. Because when you're a kid coming into a top side in the world anywhere, you might get one or two chances and then you never see the field again if you don't show something in those instances. And in crisis and confusion, there's opportunity. And Stefan Bacetic came in and gave himself a good account of a footballer who can play in a first team. We saw a litmus test maybe with Real Madrid where, okay, it might be a step too far for the kid. And ideally, I don't think Jurgen Klopp is planning on starting a kid in Europe in uh, in a tie at the beginning of the season, but your circumstances come to it and he was deserving of the chance there. And so you go on and you say, look, in this season of transition that we'll now call the Manchester United 7-0 season because you have to find some way to distinguish between time periods and it's just hilarious to mention. It's really the only notable thing that happened this year besides the emergence of Bacetic. I think he showed a great account of himself in the minutes that he got and that he'll be a great player going forward. Yeah, definitely. I think he's... Yeah, I agree. It's it's difficult because you want to instantly when you get a play like that you want to big them up and you want to make them into something what they can potentially be and he's got all the potential in the world but you need we need to have like a bit of patience with him because he's I don't think he's 19 till October so he's, he's still he's still still a child like very much a kid and he's still got a lot of learning to do but in the in the 11 I think it was 11 Premier League games we've seen him in I mean it feels like a lot more because of yeah. what last season was <laughs> it feels like he was there the whole season um playing every game but it was only 11 games before he picked up that injury but I think we saw enough in those moments in a like I said in a dysfunctional side where he's got a lot of qualities that can elevate us in, in, in a functional side which is exciting but I just wanted to get your take on 
because I know I mentioned like the players coming back and stuff, and the likes of Sobersly and McAllister and stuff have came in. What what are you what are your thoughts on on them in terms of and what they can provide? I suppose in the new the new three two two three system with with Trent coming in into that six position alongside could he could be coming in alongside the Bacetic. We don't know yet. There's there's a load of options, but I think those forward two of the box midfield in in the new setup. I mean, when you see it on paper and you've got McAllister on the left and Sobersly on the right, it looks very, very exciting, doesn't it? The the amount of configurations and formations that we'll be able to run in the midfield, knock on wood, uh, you know, God willing, if everyone stays healthy, is um, it, it's a roulette chamber of ways that we can be offensively aggressive, that we can be uh, defensively resolute. It's a way that we can counter press. It's a way that we can transition. And I think that we're going to see lots of changes with who is holding. I think we will see Trent be there. I think we will see Fabinho be there. I think we'll see Thiago be there. Um, So that's three who can sort of, slide in in a number six-ish role, depending on if it's a double pivot or not. And then you have uh, for the eights, Harvey, Curtis, Dominic, McAllister, Jordan Henderson. It's, it's, it's lots of competition in the right places. And I think that the one who I'm very, very excited to see his progression, and I think he's only going to get better with the competition, is is Curtis Jones. I think he showed really, really good levels towards the end of last year in, in the system, and I think he was a great, great benefactor of everything that we've been doing structurally in the past ending 10 games of the season. And so I obviously don't know if there will be any more incomings or outgoings. Um, I think that the one person who I would potentially worry about where their time would be coming might be Harvey Elliott. But besides that, with the way that we have the depth now for midfield, there's so many ways that we can hit you and it's going to be incredible to see how Jürgen sets up. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's when you, I think I suppose it's like similar seasons in the past where when you put everyone, say you go, right, our midfield options are, and then you list them all out, and there's quite a few. So like you said, there's quite a lot of variations we can adapt depending on who we play. I think people generally on Twitter who I suppose are the more negative side of, see the more negative side of thing or or seem to enjoy that side more, like to put question marks against these like Thiago, um, great, but never fit. Henderson, the same. Javier Elliott, still young. Curtis Jones, and and you're like, I can see the point of view, but then you need to be like, Sobberslies came in, McAllister's came in, Curtis Jones has elevated his game, like you've rightly just said, to a level where he was excellent at the end of last season. And if he keeps that same mindset, and he has been doing it in the under twenty one tournament at a, at a deeper position, he's been looking very confident. Like he's hit a level where he's like, right fuck this, I'm not dropping below this level now because this is my level and he knows. He's always been a confident kid. It's just about been getting him on the field with like yeah. weird eye injuries and shin splints and whatever, which happens as you as a as a growing as a growing kid. 
it, it happens to people, especially athletes in a in a game such so difficult as footy. Um, but so in terms of like what what you're thinking then, so I know you mentioned like you don't know who's going to be leaving or or coming in. Do you think we still like I mentioned all those people and there's all those variables in midfield? Do you think we still need another one in there, regardless of if we sell someone or are you happy with what we've got at the minute? So the thing that I think probably it's tough to say, I think um, we all know that there Jürgen likes to be honest with his squad. He doesn't like to have a bloated squad. And I remember watching the Anfield rap uh, five part series on Klopp. And uh, one of the guys from Germany was saying, yeah, Klopp likes to have one to two guys for every position, and that way he can be honest. And so I think right now, as much as I would like to see another midfielder, specifically a long-term number six project who's ready to play right now, I don't imagine that Klopp will bring in another player unless someone would leave from the midfield area because we have so many options there. And I think, uh, I'm not sure about the homegrown status. If one would have to leave for us to sign a player who, who wasn't homegrown or do we still have one more spot left? Yeah, we've still got, I think Sobisly pushed us to 16. I think we've got, we've got one more left basically one more non-homegrown. Yeah. I think the eights are set for this year and maybe when Thiago's contract is up next year, depending on if he stays or goes, that's when we would invest in another eight style midfielder. And that if there would be a midfielder, it would probably be a six, but I don't know if it's going to be predicated on outgoings. Yeah, because I I only asked that because one of the players that we've been, I mean, we've been linked with Turam, we've been linked with Kone, we've been linked with Gravenberg. There's been a whole host, but one that, seems to have arrived and, and doesn't seem to be going away is is Lavia of, of Southampton because you mentioned like a six. I think he fits the fits the bill from what you hear from journalists. Klopp likes him a lot and it's not it's not hard to understand why when you've when you see bits of what, what he can do. Um but I mean the price I think Southampton apparently asking for fifty million, which I just think is Absolutely fucking crazy considering we talked about yeah. Bacetic played 11 Premier League games last year, Lavia played 29. Yeah, so now you're talking about he's now a 50 million pound player, which is yeah. I get he's a he's a he's a project player and whatever else, but and he, I suppose if if you signed him for that price and he became amazing, you'd be like, well, what a snip that was. It was an amazing bit of business. Do you think he's someone that is, I mean. We def- we're definitely interested in him, but do you think he's someone that would come in and could add to what we've got and also be, I suppose, happy to to be like a, a squad player and would I suppose would get on board with, with being like a him and Bicetic maybe vying for that type of um, backup position in maybe the Europa League or Cup games? You know, I think if he were to go for that 50 million, which he wouldn't, he would be... Would he be the most expensive player from the championship going to the Premier League? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because what was Madison? 45 million pound. Yeah. And he's the most expensive now. Yeah, so 50 million. He's not going to go for that. 
I think Man City have to buy back for 40 million quid in Southampton are probably using that to to leave sort of a, a marker for what they're they're looking for. But I, I think they'll get around that for wherever he goes because he does seem to be in demand. But um yeah, as we were talking about the midfield options, and you know, sometimes we have a tendency to do this of like you were saying, people are going down the list of things for why the midfield rotation isn't gonna work and, and this, that, the other thing. And you know, you a, a broken clock can be right two times a day. Obviously, everyone who's a fan of Liverpool had an inkling that we needed to get a midfielder in in the last two or three transfer windows. I think Tiago's the only first team midfielder that we've signed in the last what three years something like that so it's been time for a long time and the situation with the context of the window with McAllister and Sabasly coming in for less than 100 million quid is it's absolutely sensational business it's like I can't underscore a world cup winner coming off the best season ever for Brighton football club in the Premier League for 35 million and there was other teams sniffing about and we got in there and he chose us. It's 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 a great sign. And then Sabasly getting that deal over the line, being willing to pay the release clause for, for you know, two players coming in on probably less wages than what Kai Havertz will be on at Arsenal alone and for a fee that's similar or less than what Arsenal are paying for Declan Rice, just as, as markers out there. But for Romeo Lavia, when you talk about Sabasly and McAllister, very sleek, good, strong players. I think, you know, McAllister is Premier League proven. He's tough. He's wiry. He's gritty. You see everything in the Argentina versus France game that you would want out of him in the Premier League going into the tight spaces, but also getting forward, doing dirty work against, you know, an incredibly strong midfield in France. And he only showed out for himself the rest of the season. But you want more steel. You want more grit in the midfield. I think that's been one of the bigger gripes that we've had over the last two seasons. And I think it's because you lose Genie. what was it, two years ago, three years ago, I forget what, and, you know, Henderson and uh, James Milner have obviously got on in age and Milner's left the club. But in 2018, 2019, 2019, 2020, the characteristic of the, the you know, comical Brexit midfield when we would deploy them uh, with Milner and and Henderson was they could get into a proper fight in the midfield. And they were strong, strong players. Genie as well, Fabinho as well back in the day. And I just, we've lost a little bit of that great steely toughness. And Romeo Lavia could, could definitely bring a bit of that. I, I think the thing that stood out for me was watching the Southampton Arsenal game. And as I'm sure a lot of people were watching, he, he, he was playing on another level in that game from, from what I saw. He was imperious. He was shutting everything down. I was so convinced at the beginning of the day that, you know, Arsenal was going to walk over Southampton. And this kid was just, he was everywhere. He was winning headers. He was heading things out of the box. He was winning ground duels. And um, he's, got, he's got good technique, good passing range to him. You can see why City put the the, the buyback in there. It wasn't going to be a nothing player. They knew that there was going to be value leaving, but at a top club like Manchester City, sometimes you have to let players like that go. And um, I'm not saying it for, you know, the sake of wanting new transfers, but 
I, I think that this season we have a great opportunity to do well without having expectations that are so, so high. I don't think people are coming in with the expectations like we did last year where it's okay. We've just nearly done the quad. We're going to go back in a title race with city and then six, seven games into the season, you already know you're out of the title race. It's catastrophic for expectations this year. You bring in a guy like Romeo and uh, he could get minutes here and there, he could develop, and then maybe you see 18 months, 24-month progression. Then he's the starter after winning out a spot in a squad battle with Bacetic, Fabinho, whoever is there. So I think it's one that makes sense. Yeah, because you mentioned like Liverpool of of old, I suppose, the midfield, and I was watching like an interesting... So basically, I was looking at Zobosly, and there's like a clip of his game when he played at Anfield, and I... In the end, I wasn't even watching what Zobosly was doing anymore in the clips. I was watching how good Liverpool's midfield was closing down those spaces. And it's easy to forget just how good that was when you've got, like, yeah, you've got, like you said, Milner, Henderson, top of his game, like, engine. The engine was his game, and that's what he did. And it was just, like, Fabinho, like, at the top of his game as well. And it's, like, that's what we crave back because that's why Liverpool have had to... I suppose the change of the system was because we were getting battered by everyone. The midfield was non-existent. The defence was just shot of confidence. Allison was saving as much as he could. He was just a, a poor fellow. He was just getting absolutely battered every game by shots and whatever. And he was top of like saves and whatever. And you're like, fucking hell, you never thought you'd see Allison like top of saves. Because I always associate with that with the worst teams, because that's yeah, when yeah, yeah. relegation father they're getting they're getting battered every week. And you you've seen all these stats and you're like, fuck's sake. And it's that's something that you quite rightly said needs to change because Trent dropping into that midfield position. I think we need I think Fabinho was a lot better in the last season because he was he was basically had the whole of midfield to himself. If he was quick um, I suppose if he was like had a bit of youth as well on the side. I mean, we say that like he's older, but he's twenty nine. He should, he still should be good enough to uh, dominate a midfield. But when he had that much space to himself to go, well, I need to, I don't know, fucking forty yards or whatever. No one's near him. If someone's running at him, they're gonna get past him because he's not the quickest. And especially if he's got no confidence, he's not gonna be able to take the ball either. So it's little things like that where bringing Trent in helps for being for being then gives us the license, like you said, to Zobosly and McAllister to to go and do their thing, and it's I think it's really exciting times for, especially if we bring in a Lavier or we bring someone else in. I mean, there's talk about another centre back, a left footed one, to kind of take that um, left sided position of, of of the three that we're kind of going for going forwards. Um, but yeah, I put I put like a little tw- a poll up on Twitter because. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I was trying to get people to not sit on the fence. It was basically, who are you most excited for out of Zobosly and McAllister? Um, I don't think the polls actually ended yet, but Zobosly was way clear on 72%. I imagine that's because people haven't seen him as much as McAllister, because McAllister, like you said, is we all know what he's about. Um, but ju- just how excited are you for Zobosly then? Because obviously he won that poll by quite a stretch there. Um, I don't know how much you've seen of him. I'm, I don't know how much anyone's seen of him apart from Champions League games. And if you, I suppose if you watch the Bundesliga religiously, you would have seen loads of it, loads of him. But I just think he fits in terms of what I've seen profile-wise, 
how he can get up and down the field. And like I said, with that clip I was watching where I was seeing Henderson doing all that stuff on that right side of midfield, I feel like he can come in and do that. He's only 22, and I feel like he's he's now at the perfect time where, as Liverpool always do, get these players in right at the sweet spot and go, here's a bit of a platform for you. Go and show us what you can do. And I think he's got all the, he's got all the qualities to do that, hasn't he? He's 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 breathtaking at, at some points. It really is. I mean, the pace that he can run with, the the skill that he possesses, the shot that's in his locker. I think one of the other things when you talk about both McAllister and Sobaslai coming in is last year it felt like until Curtis, really, I can't think of many other midfielders really chipping in with a goal last year. It felt like, was Curtis our highest scoring midfielder? He must have been, right? Yeah, I think so. I think Bacetic got one against Villa. Yeah. Uh, that was the only one he got. But yeah, not not many scored. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so adding the goals to midfield will be incredible, incredible uh, bonus for Liverpool. And those goals add up. I mean, the year that we won the league, I think Van Dijk had five or six goals in the league. So you need goals from everywhere. But Salvaslai... He's he's got flair, he's got pace, and he's only 22. This is the thing that I noticed from what I've seen of him. I believe he's played Liverpool at least three or four times with Salzburg and with Leipzig, if if I'm correct in saying that. So Liverpool fans have seen him more than you know another random player per se. But um he gets the ball and he's very quick at running in space. He can pick a good pass and transition. I'm eager to see what he looks like when he's up against a low block in the Premier League, against a, a Burnley or an Everton. You know, how is he able to go out of defense? How is he able to handle the the physicality of the Premier League? Because McAllister's answered those questions for himself. He's passed the test, so to speak, of playing in the Premier League. But um I I really think it could be a good bet uh, outside of the box. Dominic Sovaslai first day goal and win versus Chelsea against Kepa. I'm I'm backing him in from range to just go for an absolute belter on his debut, Mick. Ah, I'd absolutely love that. I I I feel like it's it's something that is. I mean, it is basic to say someone's got a good technique and a good shot, but it's something else to see how he does it. It's like when you see clips of the free kicks, he's got a really distinctive technique, the way he hits it, and the ball does not, it's like, it does not move, but that ball is flying at some speed. And um, I saw a few clips of um, former Liverpool goalie Adam Bogdan, and he was obviously a Hungarian teammate of his, and he got asked about, I think it was on the red men he got asked about like how do you go about saving those shots in training and stuff and he was like well you can't and I feel like that's like to get that insight is just so interesting and I think he said something like Allison may be able to but I couldn't like fair play to him um to say that obviously Allison's a different level to, to everyone else in the world so that's fair yeah. fair comment but I just feel like it's interesting to see how I mean, like set pieces. Who's is he gonna? Is he gonna get a chance with Trent? I mean, yeah. Trent's you know how good Trent's Trent's mm-hmm. right footers. Um, but yeah, outside the box, like we've had over the years, we've had Naby Keita was meant to be that person who could drive forward, have shots, and he did that. I remember a good one against Chelsea when he did it, but he didn't do it anywhere often enough. Obviously, yeah. we've had Oxley Chamberlain, who's done that multiple times, Man City goals and whatever yeah. else where he's he's broke from deep and drove into those spaces. 
but I, I, I think it's fascinating to see how he tailors his game to. I mean, I'm still hoping Klopp says if you if you edge the box, just just hit it as hard as you can. I imagine he'll be encouraged to do that because I know Octa Chamberlain was as well. But it's going to be interesting, just to, like you said, just to see how exactly he fits in. Like, is he going to be, yeah, just picking up those pockets? Is he going to be dropping in deep, playing little one twos like Curtis does? It's. I think it's it's really interesting to see how Klopp's going to do it. But with McAllister, who now I think when I think about it more, is obviously coming in after him. People are now just excited it seems like we're just we're just excited about Zobislai but when you look at McAllister and what he did last year he is so fucking good he re- like he really is like tackles got a great shot on him as well like you said very wiry I think that's a good word for him like he gets stuck in he's not scared yeah. of a tackle it's really exciting times isn't it like when you think when you're trying to you can you can see it almost in your mind's eye exactly what Klopp's trying to do and how how we're going to set up, even if it's against Man City or if it's against Everton, we've got plenty of options to break these teams down and, and to kind of what we've been good at in the past is seeing what they're going to do and then going right, we're going to do this because we can do it and we can do it better than you can. I think that's something that these players and hopefully along with a few others, others can hopefully help us do. I mean, the amount of of long range passing that we're going to see where you win the ball back in the top of your box or something on a counter and the first pass goes to Dominic, to Trent or to Thiago or to Alexis McAllister. All of those players that I've just named have the ability to send Hollywood balls on a dime. Darwin, Cody, Luis Diaz, Jota, Mohamed Salah are going to be on their bikes from minute go. And then the other thing is, is in transition and maybe you get to a situation where a team is able to set up defensively, Dominic can have a dribble. Alexis McAllister can have a dribble. They can have a shot. These are options that we haven't necessarily had with every midfielder on the pitch all at once. I mean, Jordan Henderson back in the day had a good, you know, faint left, go to the right sideline for a cross, but he was never going to be Ronaldinho doing stepovers. James Milner the same. And now you have a different dynamism where you can not have to worry if you can't find the pass in transition because you can go set up, ticky-tacky around the box, find an opening. And with the plethora of midfielders that we have to pick a pass or take a dribble, our forwards, Mick, are going to be eating. They're going to be fat by the end of the season. It's, it's. I think with these additions, the ability that they have for the assist and for the hockey assist, the pass for the pass, that's the assist, we're going to score so many goals and it's going to be ridiculous because in spurts last year, everybody saw it. We were putting up nine against Bournemouth, seven against Manchester United, these crazy score lines in, in Rangers, it's going to be so much fun to watch. So much fun. Yeah. I want the season to start tomorrow now. Now we're getting excited. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing. Um, just before just before we go, I just wanted to, I don't know, try like another little thing that I can tag on the end, end of shows, like I suppose like on this day type thing. And it is Virgil van Dijk's 32nd birthday today. Um. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about long-range passes. He's one of the main reasons for Liverpool playing that way because his long-range passing is, for a centre-back, 
maybe the best ever. It's it's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Um, but I just wanted to get your thoughts, Jamie, on what's your what's your favorite moment of his over the, over, over the last five years. You know, Virgil Van Dyke. What a man. What a guy. I I remember exactly where I was when I saw that picture of him holding up the jersey behind the Christmas Christmas tree, tree, all (laughs) black. And I was just thinking, oh, yes, this is the start of something good. And um, it was one of those things like with Klopp, when Klopp came in, you just knew this is the start of something good. We're, we're these guys, they're, they're going to do it. You know what I mean? You knew when Klopp was coming in. You knew when Allison was coming in. You knew when Virgil van Dijk was coming. This is the start of something for us right now. And um, there's no way I can look past his debut goal against Everton at Anfield because we had tracked him since the summer. We botched it a little bit with the tapping up. And it's like, is this going to happen? We knew he was our guy. He looked so good. Everyone was on the Southampton comps. And he had been an amazing player for them the year before, before his injury. And um, when he scored that goal, it was just a confirmation of, yeah, this guy's different class. He's going to take us to the top. He is what we need. He is everything that he's built up to be. And it was the start of a, a great love story of Virgil van Dijk and Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That goal is just—I mean, it's funny because Pickford, with his very, very short arms, was just what was he doing coming out for that? He had no—he's just like—he's like, right, I'm not going to get this, but I'm going to make it look like I'm really trying. And just yeah. like, yeah, his yeah. arms are like, yeah, like three foot in the air, and Van Dyke's like six four, jumps like another two foot. Like he's like—he's like nine foot in the air. He's never getting anywhere near it. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, I agree. It's hard to look past that. But like, there's there's so many like the assist for Mane, yeah, like the Allianz against Bayern, like yeah, goal against Man United, the, yeah, the, the day where we knew like the yeah. title was coming back home. I think we went 16 points clear with a game in hand with that game. Salah scored late on, yeah, famously yeah. with the Allison assist. So yeah, there's there's so many man, and it's it's a it's a shame the way, I mean that the injury and stuff and Pickford like the way he's just a horrific challenge on him came back really good. Um, the year before last, but I think maybe too many games. I think he's a bit mentally fatigued as well as like his body's just absolutely shattered. Hopefully, this season is one where he can. I mean, the levels he was producing last year. I think even he'll be he'll be his own worst critic. He'll be like, well, it was it was nowhere near good enough. We just want to see him raise his level because I don't I don't think we'll ever see him the way we did the way he was yeah. he was in he was imperious wasn't he? he was at that level where no one in world football wanted to to come up against Virgil van Dijk yeah. I don't think we'll ever see that again I mean if we do I'll be, we'll all be very happy uh, yeah. but I think even if he just raises his level to a normal Virgil van Dijk level will will be it's still an amazing level and he's he's still so important for us isn't he Yeah I, I think that, that look now that the season's over, I, I, I'm a firm believer of sometimes there are excuses that can be valid, at least in the context of what's going on. And it just feels like for guys like uh, Virgil, Hendo, Fabinho, um, Allison, that football hasn't stopped since 2019. It, it, it feels like football has not stopped for the top, top, top level guys since 2019, that they've just been playing 
every four days for the past three or four years. And I'm going to give some of these guys a get out of jail free, free card. They went to war for Liverpool for the last four or five years. And they had the World Cup this past year in mid-season, never been done before. I would reckon a lot of these guys come out in the next five, ten years, whether it's Hendo, Virgil, Kevin De Bruyne, Neymar, saying, you know, that the season was kind of a, a, a moot because how could you think about anything other than the World Cup and then you're coming back from the World Cup having to recover from a different type of stress and tournament where realistically, if we're being honest, and none of the players would ever say it because they're professionals, but this season, a majority of, of players around the world who went to the World Cup were more focused on the World Cup than they were on their their club football season, which I completely understand. The World Cup is once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, potentially. And I think Virgil, Hendo, they knew, you know, this is this is our last Fabinho. They know this is our last go at, at, at winning something for our country. And I think it took a, a huge, huge toll on them, um, not only physically, but, but mentally. And, you know, I'll, I'll end with this, Mick. After the school year was done, right, I was mentally drained. I went on vacation with my wife to to Italy. And, you know, I, I couldn't stand the sight of seeing a kid where it's like, if I'm not getting paid to teach this kid or to coach this kid, I don't want to see any kids right now. You know, that's that's what it can be like sometimes at your job when you're going, going, going. And now that I got a little vacation rest, I'm rejuvenated, ready to go. I'm excited to see the kids again. I'm excited to teach. I'm excited to coach, whatever. I'm sure it's going to be the same with these guys at Liverpool where they were dragged to the mud last year and they had a really tough go of it, but they've had time to rest and they're all, they're all winners. They're going to be back at it this year for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. Perfect way to end um, the show. Yeah. Jamie, thanks very much. It's been been a long time coming. Uh, yeah. I met you in person for a pint before we done the show. It's usually the other way around when you yeah. when you meet someone, but we do, we don't do the way around. But it still worked. We still yeah, did yeah. it. It's still a great show. But yeah, yeah, thanks thanks for taking the time because I know it's very early over there in Boston, yeah. but I'm sure you will have enjoyed speak, hearing Jamie speak about the Reds. And if I will put all his details in the description of the show where you can go and follow him and let him know how 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 good he is about talking about the Reds because I've I've always been impressed by how much you know. And how, um, yeah, as 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 a coach, how how you look at the game differently. I always appreciate that. So I just wanted to let you know that. And I'm sure people enjoyed listening to you. So thanks very much for jumping on. I'm sure we'll get you back on again soon to have another little chat about the Reds. Um, but yeah, thanks everyone for listening. As always, we are out of here. Thanks very much. See you all in a bit. Ta-da. Podcast Network.